Can I just read something to you that I found pretty funny when I was looking over some Final Fantasy facts? Sure. Apparently, an elemental resistance can be can't suplex or unsuplexable, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me really excited for this game. <laughs> have you have you gotten to a point where you are fighting against someone that you would assume would be impossible to suplex? I'm really trying to avoid spoilers. I think the, the first boss you fight, um, according to this guide, cannot be suplexed, which is a great elemental resistance because the element of suplex is the element of surprise. What Final Fantasy is this? <laughs> this is Final Fantasy 3 slash 6. Yeah. And where is this guide that you're looking at? Is it the big uh, collector's edition book? No, no, no. I'm talking angle? like, this is like a... a game fact that i found on the web that's just a text file i wonder if it's in that big book i bought i uh, i'm gonna have to wait did you have to buy a book to get your switch like it was in a bundle? no 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 okay i just saw the book and was like oh this looks interesting it's actually pretty interesting well so I, i'm gonna read something uh from just a random final fantasy wikia this is about final fantasy 3 and 6 specifically the SNES versions, because every subsequent version uh, has more or less had this problem fixed. But because this is being so loyal or faithful to the original versions of these games, it still has the problem. The Evade bug is a bug in the game Final Fantasy VI. As a result of this bug, the Evade stat, which was supposed to determine the rate at which characters would dodge physical attacks, does nothing also, as a result of this bug, Magic Evasion, a stat which was supposed to determine the rate at which a character would dodge magic attacks, determines the rate at which a character dodges both physical and magical attacks. That's wonderfully broken, isn't it? I'll have to keep that in mind when I plug in my SNES Classic. It's October 15th, 2017. You're listening to the Fancy Ramen Podcast, episode 36. I'm Neil. I'm Cookie. And I'm Scott. And this is the episode in which we can all say congratulations, Cookie, on getting your SNES Classic that you have not yet opened. Yep, it's official. (laughs) I went to the GameStop right down the street from my work. It was a two-minute drive. Walked in and was like, hey, you got any classics? And the UPS guy was walking out. And he was like, yep, just got three big boxes. <laughs> I was like, sweet. It, it's probably, it's maybe the best sign if you don't have an SNES, SNES Classic that they are shipping them this immediately after the initial release. So perhaps we will not have to have the conversation of why can I not find an SNES Classic around Christmas? I'm just glad to hear that with all of Cookie's like persistence and motivation he was finally able to acquire that box that he's going to put at the top of his closet (laughs) (laughs) why thank you (laughs) you you probably played enough when we recorded uh the snes classic episode which will be up sometime soon eventually eventually yeah i I feel as if i got all i wanted to get out of the snes classic at that point but convenient standards like hit me and it was just like oh yeah I brought my own. I didn't bring a lunch to work today. This mall's got a really good food court. It's literally a two-minute drive. I'll just go during my lunch break. 
and I entered an art show. Nice. So three of my skateboards are now at TD Ameritrade at their, I guess, their new founded annual art show. Did the naked lady not make it? No, that's kind of not appropriate for work. <laughs> as the naked lady's sister skateboard is quite literally called, not safe for work. But yeah, so I entered some art. I wrote up my own artist statement and everything. And then as I entered in the three skateboards that I used, actually two skateboards on a longboard, I realized that no one else wrote an artist statement. I was like, fuck, I really went to school for this, didn't I? <laughs> what is the artist statement for the artist formerly known as Cookie Skamilk? Basically a brief history of how graffiti influenced my art style, and that's why I kind of use skateboards, because with a piece of graffiti, you put it on a wall illegally, and it could be up for like a day. It could be up for a month. It could be up for a year. But you know one day, someone's either going to paint over it or try and take it down. Have I told you about the graffiti wall I have in my basement? Or walls, I should say. You have a basement? No. Yeah, so I live in my girlfriend's parents' basement right now, Mm because I'm a fucking cool guy. That's very cool. <laughs> very hipster of you. Uh, j- just to like save money and shit. But three of the four, or I, I guess there are more than three walls specifically in this basement. I mean, there have to be or more than four in a triangle. Me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe I do. The uh, the three walls in one nook of this basement all have graffiti on them, and apparently, at one point in time, this house might have been a grow house. But the graffiti art's not bad. I mean, it's not it's not like it's super original or anything like that. And at this point, there's too much clutter to really get a good image of what everything was. But it, it, it kind of sets the mood. It's, uh, it occurred to me that if I ever moved to like a more urban style um, city, so to speak, like a San Francisco and New York and et cetera, whatever, and, and had like a brick or like plain wall at that, like that, I think having graffiti is a great aesthetic to like freshening up or making a room seem less stagnant and suffocating. I can dig it. And, and to fit that whole um, graffiti ethos as well, when you want to go ahead and change it, just add, add a different Yeah, graffiti. yeah, exactly. If you want to paint over it and so forth. Too bad I don't have like a lick of talent when it comes to like visual artwork. But now you do know an artist whose statement includes graffiti Really? Art. Who would that be? <laughs> I, I don't know. No. Scott, what have you been up to? I've been mostly homebound and dealing with a girlfriend who has a spiral fracture in her fibula. So I haven't been doing too much besides caring for my invalid right now. Um, as much as Neil laughs at that, what did I miss? Oh, it was a roller derby accident. I can explain this really quickly. If you take a branch and you twist it in two opposite directions, the brake pattern is what happened to her leg bone. It's pretty metal. Like, there's a picture of it. Maybe I'll send you guys. Roller but, derby. Yeah, roller derby. I didn't know derby. she was even in a roller derby. Yeah, is is your girlfriend also like tatted up and uh, has short pigtails and prefers black clothing? Did she join this after her dog died and she had to <laughs> carry it on a carry-on oh, bag? <laughs> she's, she's been doing roller derby for like, I think, seven months. Yes, Sierra's got tattoos and like a, a couple piercings, I think. And she does wear predominantly black, if sometimes not an entirely black like wardrobe. So... You you hit the you hit the stereotype on the head. Kind of serious, but not meant to be taken seriously. 
Do you ever feel inadequate with your lack of tattoos, piercings, and punk uh, exterior? Oh, no, not at all. I'm punk at heart, and that's all that matters. So you, you believe in the anarchy. You just don't necessarily, you know, go yeah. out in the streets and, and march it. Yeah, exactly. I, I exude the aura of anarchy without actually having to demonstrate it physically. I just imagine you showing up to like an anarchist rally in just what you normally wear. <laughs> Colored shirt and everyone's jeans. just so dark and metal and, and here comes Scott, just big old smile on his face. <laughs> Some random guy with on. a nose ring turns to you and he's like, Is that shirt from Banana Republic? And you're like, Yes, it is. And he's oh, like, Oh wow, that's real oh, nice. Man. Like Fucking yeah, because chances are it is from Banana Republic. <laughs> Those are some of my favorite shirts. I'll, I'll let you guys in on a secret that ever since high school, I've always wanted snake bite piercings. Uh, like, so badly. At least one, if not two. You're like you currently do? I, I don't know. I don't really want them anymore, but I did want them for a very long time, and whoever I was dating would always ri- ridicule me about that. And now that I actually have someone who would probably support it, I'm like, well, maybe it isn't a great idea. Now, now you want to, you have to desire things that would be considered like outrageous to her now. Like maybe I need to plan an, a Roth IRA. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted one of those though. I can help you get that set up. Yeah. That's those, quite literally part of like, my job. That's really valuable. I, let's not joke about that. If you have the opportunity to set up a Roth IRA, you probably should. And while you're at it, set up a traditional IRA at the same time. You still can only contribute so much to either or both. But the tax benefits, once you get into a certain um, tax bracket, once you're making so much money, the tax benefits are phenomenal. And yeah. you just stop paying taxes because conversions. Where other podcasts would have to say, we're not, you know, we are not experts. We can actually say, yeah, I, this is I quite literally have job. the license for this. <laughs> I I support this. Um, my my dad, who is pretty financially savvy from working at a bank for so long, also is uh, a resource that's given me this information. But even better, Cookie's Cookie's got the skill set. He's got the professional requirements. This is, this is legit information. If you'd like to know more about how you can diversify your accounts and investments, please email us at fancyramen at podcast.com. <laughs> I thought it was podcast at fancyramen.com. Yeah, sure, is. whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't your get first it wrong consultation is free, and afterward, we'll go ahead and set up a custom rate with you. This is how we, <laughs> this is how we fund is the podcast. Yeah, this is how we fund uh, our eventual growth as a company aside from considering uh like financial uh financial decisions and also a girl a girlfriend with a broken leg uh what else have you been up to this week no man that's it like it's been really busy trying to keep the house nice and tidy and then also provide for a girlfriend who can't move so anything that she's done with just gets thrown on the floor or beside her or just generates crumbs because she can't move Speaking of being an invalid that cannot move, Cookie, I hear you've been playing Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pain. I mean Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Limb Syndrome, and also the Phantom Can't Get Up Syndrome. God, he could not get up. <laughs> what What you told me earlier is that you've been playing a little bit of it, but how far exactly are you? I met Ocelot. I realized that I wasn't hallucinating, and 
Ocelot also saw the thing and he was like, kill that some bitch. And then he was like, I'm Ocelot. Way to go, V or five or whatever the fuck he called me. And then he was like, you need a horse. You know how to ride a horse? Okay. Bridge collapse. And then there was a sandstorm and then I turned it off. Okay. So you're, you have now entered the open world, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So yeah, so I've quite literally done the linear portion of the game, which is probably all the game I'll probably do. Because <laughs> they'll be like, hey, now you can do whatever you want. Just plan this out. You've got, I think he said it was going to take a week by boat and then two days over land, and then you're going to need to save a guy. And then you made it there. So technically, like, the the, tra- the journey's over. Now you just need to ride your horse over to Kaz, and you need to pick him up or save him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that game relies on the player enjoying the gameplay itself. And if it's not necessarily your cup of tea, which I remember you saying that Ground Zeroes was uh, a little bit of a miss for you. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was like, okay, cool. I can I can see the appeal of this to the masses of like, I can kind of take on these like stealth missions however I want. But I don't want to do that. But you can it balloon was- people now. And you collect them. Just like Pokemon, you collect soldiers for your army, basically. That seems so metal. Do you get to, do you get to take them back to your base and interrogate them until you give them the choice to either join or no, leave? If, if, you, if you balloon them, they will join no matter what, basically. But sometimes you don't want those guys to join. Or sometimes you won't want them to join because they're shitty or they have like negative traits, I guess. I... I barely remember that game, and it's kind of surprising, too, because I love the shit out of Metal Gear Solid Five. I mean, if they failed to detect you, why would you want them guarding your base? <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I didn't really like the uh, Ground Zero demo that I got to play and sneak around and do shit with. But I was like, you know, this game's free. I'll give it a chance. And I was like what the fuck is going on? Oh yeah, never mind. It's a Metal Gear Solid game. I don't really need to know. All I know is I am just flopping all over this fucking floor. Yeah. (laughs) I recall playing that game a second time and having... No, let me rephrase that. I recall playing that beginning, that intro portion a second time for reasons we won't go into. And thinking to myself... on the boobs. Or his butt. (laughs) Are his butt <laughs> when he's in the surgical gown or whatever? Um, yeah, uh, I I would hope that you at least do a little bit within the open world because I I do appreciate the improvements they made between from Ground Zero and I'll yeah. I'll probably turn it on again at some point, but until then, there's too much to play. Like what else? Well, I also started playing a game called Hue. It's also one of the uh, PlayStation Plus free games of the of this season, and by this season, this month. I actually, depending on if you play the game Unfinished Swan, you might really enjoy this. Uh, it's another like color-based game, so you are Mr. Gray, or Dr. Hugh. Wait, you mean Mr. Gray from the hit Stephen King movie, Dreamcatcher? Pretty much. <laughs> and, Mr. Gay? And your, um, your lab assistant, possibly, and our lover, and our wife. Not sure what she is to you. She leaves you a note basically saying, hey... You know how we look up at the sky and we say the, the sky is blue? Well, I, I found the color blue. So I think you're probably just looking at gray. How do we know we're all looking at the same color? And you're just going around finding these colors because she is on the ultraviolet spectrum now. So she cannot be seen. And you're just collecting all these things to try and find her. 
and she's leaving you a bunch of notes, basically saying, hey, come find me. So it's a puzzle game based on the background color of the world that you're in. So sometimes an obstacle will be light blue. And to get past it, you'll change the background color of the world light blue. So all of a sudden that thing doesn't exist because it's in the same color oh, spectrum. Oh, interesting. And so if, if there's a purple door or a purple blockade, you need to change the sky purple to get past, past it. it. Mm-hmm. So how are you changing the colors? So it's on the, you'll like, I believe it's the L1 or R1. And then you get a color wheel. As you collect colors, you get more colors to choose from. And then you use the uh, right analog stick to change colors. So sometimes there'll be like spikes on the ground. So if you, and you'll turn the color like blue and you'll see that there's actually a yellow box covering the spikes. So you jump on the yellow box. Then to get to the next part, part, you'll need to jump off of the yellow box, turn the world yellow, and then there's a purple box. So then you kind of keep going, cycling through these colors while jumping and platforming through the world, changing colors to get through the puzzle. So it might be appropriate to also know that this is like a platformer from the looks mm-hmm. of it. At any point in time, do you have to utilize the color changing in concise, quick motions to avoid obstacles? Like let's say if you're falling and there's some sort of trap that like you have to fall through a color so you switch to that color but then you have to switch back mm-hmm. to a different color to prevent yourself from dying how how much a part of that is that to like the core gameplay so from what i've done so far i've had to go through certain colors to like avoid dying and i've also had to like in order to progress sometimes there were, like one part there were boulders right above me and they were being held on by a blue by a blue uh, floor or blue ceiling from my perspective. But in order for me to go forward, I had to turn the background color blue because it was also a wall in front of me. So basically I had to change the color, drop the boulders, run out, and change the color back to like not get the boulders coming after me. Or what I did was I just kept the color blue and just ran away from the boulders and did my best not to die. I guess Does you. using um, this hue ability cause you to like pause time or slow it or anything? It or does is it all slow real time. time? It does slow time, so it hits you with a nice little, um, if you play the Pac-Man Championship Edition, when you're about to run into something, how it, like, everything, like, zooms in and slows down mm-hmm. to help you avoid the ghost, it kind of does that. So okay. you're still moving. You can't change directions when you're actually, like, in that hue time. So say you uh, misread a jump and you're, you know you're about to overjump it, you can't, like, change directions while oh, okay. in that bullet time. So it's kind of like a... It's a nice balance mechanic. Right, Hugh, you can't abuse it at least. Yeah, so Hugh, have it's you nice ever, and free. Oh, uh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's nice and free. Have I ever what? Have you ever misjudged a color? Um, like All the time. Okay, I, I was just so thinking, I, like, looking at the, um, just the art for Hugh, orange and yellow look really similar. Have you ever accidentally, like, switched to yellow and then been crushed by an orange boulder or... A yellow box has fallen through. There's like a dark blue and a light blue that are really close to each other, and they're mm-hmm. in the same like spot-ish kind of on the color wheel. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's two different yellows as well. I haven't gotten all the colors yet, but okay. I will say your initial reaction is to you see the color that you want to jump on or jump to, and as you're going through like the time, your thought process doesn't go to pick a different color. The way I've been brought up with um, plugging in the RCA cables in the back of the TV or plugging in things on the compu- building a computer, you always match the colors. So that's one right. of the things I've got to get like past whenever I do play. It's like, oh yeah, 
there's a yellow box there. I want to jump on the yellow box. As I'm in midair, I switch to yellow, and I'm like, fuck, now I've got to start over. Do you guys consider yourselves, like, colorblind at all? No. No. Out of all the colorblind tests I've taken, I have not failed one, I guess. Yeah. I can see the Marv logo. Marv? Yeah, the movie studio, M-A-R-V. They do all the colors. I think it's M-A-R-V. I, too, can see the Marv logo. Okay. This company's logo is invisible, says one writer. I ask that because I consider myself to be relatively colorblind within certain grays and their relation, I think, to either green or red. I can't recall. But I look at the color wheel in some of these screenshots, and I don't have any issue distinguishing the difference to them. So I, I'm just, I was just curious as to whether this will hurt some, some forms of colorblindness. Yeah. I think, I don't remember actually going through all the options, but I think there might be a like colorblind mode to kind of help uh, differentiate, but I don't think it's, I know some game I played recently actually had a colorblind mode and it was like, are you this colorblind? Are you this colorblind? It had like five different colorblind options. And, and that seems ideal because colorblindness in general tends to be very like specific to a, a set range of the color spectrum. Yeah, it looks interesting. It's free on PlayStation Plus right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely like right up my alley because I really loved the game Unfinished Swan. One of the few games I finished, which was a game that's a first person in your painting the world around you otherwise everything's just pure white so you can't tell what's around have you considered playing perception i don't know what that game is it's uh so it's a game not. where you're a blind woman and you have to walk around and uh, like everything is visualized for us as uh vibrations or sound reflecting off of surfaces Ooh, that sounds fun seems pretty good Ooh, I wonder if it goes into like soft surfaces reflect differently. Oh yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. I like games like that. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I also see that you've been playing Gran Turismo Sport. I played two races of Gran Turismo Sport, and it was that amazing that you never wanted to ruin your perception of the game again. And it, it was, was that amazing. That, <laughs> it was that amazing that I realized? Oh yeah, that's why I like Forza the series better. For anyone who's on that like rivalry between Forza Forza Motorsports and Gran Turismo. They've got very different feels and very like different ways about going about things. Gran Turismo is very um clinical. It's very sterile. It's very much this is your thing. You get the credits. Congratulations. You've won the race. Probably in a British accent. And it's very you're driving. There's no real sense of speed and it kind of just yeah. Congratulations. You've won the race. Cheerio, mate. Does it control in that same fashion? That you expect a Gran Turismo game to control in? Y- yes and no. I mean, if you were to compare Gran Turismo with Forza, being someone that's never played a Forza game, aside from like grabbing the controller once or twice, would you say that Gran Turismo feels more like a strict simulation, or is it different? Does it that? have the, like kind of that uh, pseudo-arcade feel that um, Forza has? Perhaps. I, I don't want to put words in your mm. mouth, so to speak, because I'm not familiar with Forza. Forza. So the thing I like about Forza is even though it is a simulation racer, you can set the curve to give it a little more of a, um, a little more of a um, arcade feel. You can also set the control scheme for Forza to be completely simulation, and then you can customize your car in such a way that it's going to react exactly the way you want. So at this case, you could be like, 
okay, I want this car. So like I was watching drift videos of Forza and I'm like, cool. How the heck did they get that set up? They were like, put everything on super simulation and you need to build this car exactly as it is. Any kind of tuning's wrong and it's not a drift car, which is how real cars work. Whereas Gran Turismo is very, you need to do this. Congratulations. You've won the race. I guess Forza's got more of a like punk feel. It's more excited about the things that you're doing. The main things I've been playing, unfortunately, have been Forza Horizon because Forza Motorsport wasn't available on the Play Anywhere. Windows Store. Yeah, and I don't want to buy an Xbox One. So once the new Forza 7 comes out, I'm going to be super excited to get that. It's got more of a, even though you're doing the same races, it's got a lot of the same licenses for cars. It's very, yeah, let's do this. And one thing that I really like drew me away from the Gran Turismo and stuck with the Forza. I like to play in the cab of the car a lot of the times. And Gran Turismo has this issue of having a lot of cars and not having the inside of the car. So like you can't get like the steering wheel moving and all that stuff. Right. When you say not having the insides of a lot of the cars, then are they just using a generic cockpit or car interior? If I remember correctly, it was either a black interior or it just didn't have that that um that perspective okay like at all they just said it it was either like black or they just like completely canceled it out also keeping in mind the last gran turismo i played was probably three and our two like back when the perspective if you went into first person mode was basically just oh why am i a floating person that's somehow flying at high speeds Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where like there's no car (laughs) interior at all and i've always picked up like the like at least done a race or two or did a demo of the Gran Turismo series. And it's always seems so clinical and boring. Now I understand they've got their like simulation thing. They're training kids to race their game and they have their championship and they put them on an actual like racing team. And I think, I think that's cool, but it's always just been too clinical and boring and you've won the race. Good job. First place finish. Here's some credits. Go buy a car. Yes. <laughs> Good job. Proud of you. Mm-hmm. Ready, set, go. Shift now. It actually tells race. you to shift. No, and it's like, it on automatic? Feels so dumb. Like, you know how a car, you get to certain RPM and then you need to shift. The, um, the way the tuning of the demo for Forza Sport, uh, Forza Sport, <laughs> Gran Turismo Sport. It was like, dude, you're sticking in first gear for way too long. You're in second gear for way too long. I quite literally see the thing go. It goes, is it trying to like incentivize the player to switch from auto to manual? Maybe. All I know is just like, no, dude, you can't, I can't play like this. But I also also play with the controller. I actually have like a button dedicated to clutch. So I'll put it in my own clutch, switch, take off the clutch, hit the gas. Right. I like racing. Gotta go fast. Do you like racing as much as you like Destiny 2? Um, if racing means playing more Gran Turismo, then no. I like Destiny 2 a lot more. <laughs> so I've been playing a lot of that. Uh, the Iron Banner has come out a few weeks ago, actually. And I've kind of been um, doing a lot of that soloing. Um, there's been a lot of complaints about the Iron Banner. Everything seems kind of um, really balanced. So when you get into the Iron Banner, you expect it's got to be like a hardcore sweat fest. And it is, depending on your team that you get. 
I find is if there's no like real even matches, I'm either on that team that's just steamrolling everything, or I'm on the team that's not doing much of anything. Uh, you mean does... the steamrolled? Yes, the steamrolled. <laughs> and a lot of complaints are coming from people who are like, oh yeah, I remember like the old school Iron Banner, like I was super overpowered and OP and super leveled, I'd just be able to run and gun and kill everything. So that's their complaint is that they need to use teamwork. Which is kind of what I wanted to mention. It's like, yeah, you need to use teamwork. So usually the steamrolled team is the one that everyone goes off in different directions. Isn't talking, isn't, or isn't naturally playing well together for that mm-hmm. matter. Because I was say, I've never actually really talked to anybody, but I'm always on that team. Like I will stick with one person and then eventually those two other guys that have been destroyed by the team that's actually sticking together, they'll flock to the person that I'm sticking with. Because we're constantly just having each other's back, and it's nice. Right. Then it turns into all team fights. I mean, what what you're telling me isn't surprising to me because uh, I don't know if you've watched any of the uh, of the raid yet, but there are some specific scenarios where if you are not communicating, you basically have to be on voice chat in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. That's one of the main complaints. It's just the, the difficulty. It's, it's not difficult. It's not running guns soloy. Okay. Is the big complaint. It's like, yeah, I can't just steamroll fools now. Like, well, yeah, because everyone's pretty much the same level. We've all done the same grind at this point, which I'm still loving the grind, which is kind of crazy for me. You sound like you would probably enjoy MMOs. I do enjoy MMOs. But I also get bored of MMOs really fast, but I also really enjoy them. Because whereas Destiny 2 has some of that level of repetitiveness, but it has a well-playing game on top of it, yeah. whereas Destiny 1 had a good playing game, had the repetitiveness, but it also had a loading screen every two minutes, and not a short loading screen. Not like a, you're loading, you're done. It was a, you're loading. <laughs> Which makes me wonder if I would appreciate games like Final Fantasy fifteen more had I played it first on a PC. Just because like that, that's one particular title where like the loading is fucking ridiculous devastating yeah and i'm really glad that i is that all you have to say for destiny before i kill it or before Mm, i switch on uh the people i run destiny with they're almost the nightfall strike ready actually one of them is lizzie is not yet we need to still get her up there wait the nightfall is that the raid or nope okay okay we are they are not raid ready (laughs) (laughs) I, i i want to record you guys uh or at least witness you guys doing the raid because it looked hella fun. It um, does look hella fun. But that's all I've got to say about that. Also, you mentioned Final Fantasy fifteen. Do you want to play the multiplayer with me? I need to see what the multiplayer even is. And will it be cross-platform? I don't think so. And but it, it sounds like you've got it on PlayStation 4 as well. So Yeah. Is it dependent upon like what your current levels are and stuff? Because I didn't make it too far in Final Fantasy fifteen. Much I got to... My- to chocobo racing in final fantasy 15 is that what the multiplayer is just a bunch of chocobo <laughs> racing i hope so <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to look into that some more um yeah so i i picked up the evil within two and that's what i've been spending what little bit of free time i've had aside from a little bit of cuphead as well the evil within two in a lot of ways has really surprised me because it was not the game i was expecting it to be that's probably my fault because I did not really look that far into the Evil Within 2 because I liked the first one so much. 
and yeah like there there were some issues with uh with evil within one but as a whole like i really appreciated the storytelling i really liked the atmosphere and mood i liked the characters it was just enjoyable for me when i started playing the evil within two it occurred to me that within the first hour and a half or hour of gameplay suddenly the world just seemed to open up and apparently this game has a lot of open world characteristics in a way that kind of defeats some of the strong points that i felt the evil within one had the original had what made the original game so great was the ultimate analysis that you're actually not inside of a real world and because of that you can make impossible spaces exist and really fuck with the player's per- like perception going from more like interesting cinematic events where let's say you get pushed off of a cliff or into like a hole and suddenly your x and y axis x xyz axis your sense of direction flips and suddenly when you were falling you were now sliding sideways onto a floor periods of time where like you would open a door walk in and it's not so much like the pt thing where suddenly oh i'm at the start of the hallway again but more like i went through this door and now if i go back through the original door that room is completely different or like the layout of the building has changed in a very fluid way that in a way that felt really natural so it's an mc escher painting yeah in a way yes it, it could be But when you have an open world environment, which the sequel has, your opportunities to do that to the player become more more framed. Like, oh, I'm on the streets of in the city. I know I'm not going to enter some weird weird dream state or anything like that because I'm this this part of the game is adhering to this constant state, this permanent open world state, so to speak. But at the same time, the gameplay is significantly better the controls are really solid it feels like a more it doesn't necessarily feel as tight as metal gear solid 5 but hot damn like it it plays amazingly may well okay it plays it plays well i've never had a point in time where i thought to myself oh i wanted to do something completely different but the controls or the handle on the game did not allow me to do that and uh, so you're perception that it plays amazingly is is more based upon the controls and how limited they were in evil within one to some extent and that's why it feels so good is like improvement from that previous iteration as well as just it being a, a newer game with maybe some other control revamps yeah and it's not necessarily even that like the game feels great for its time either it's just it feels good now Whereas the first game maybe felt a little dated for its released for its release time, which is 2013 or 14, if I'm not mistaken. Gotcha. Or does it feel good in such a way that you've tried something that you were like, this probably might work? Because in some games, you know, you're like, okay, I think I know the answer to this, and you try it, and you're like, fuck, I guess that's not the answer because the game told me no. Yeah, when so it works, it feels great, and when it doesn't, it's a little disappointing. So have you just not run into that yet? I I guess I haven't run into that difficulty before. When a game's controls get into your way, it's like, oh, but I can't turn corners sharply enough. Or, Mm. oh, I'm like the collision area for this enemy is too big, so I'm getting fucked. But like I haven't encountered that at all. And like the lack of those types of problems, I think, are are really a sign that like a game's been well designed or well created. And that game is just very forgiving. 
because you you spend a lot of time playing the Bloodborns and the Dark Souls. Oh yes. So you're used to like a game not being forgiving, but it's got tight enough things that it's like okay, I know this is skill that I'm less, that I'm lacking. Not. But that's actually a great point because Bloodborne and Dark Souls are also very tight games in that like, yeah, they're not forgiving, but at the same time, if if an enemy does a like 45 degree angle slice of their giant sword or axe, like if you're in front of them, you'll get hit. But if you happen to roll where the swing starts at their shoulder, you won't get hit. So it, I guess oh, it feels incredibly fair. Yeah, what what I'm trying to say is that The Evil Within feels pretty tight so far for me. Where my principal issues are with this game, though, are the, that like this game feels more gamey and less cinematic like the original did. Um, and, and very quickly to say, too, Castellanos, the main character's voice actor, changed. I'm not sure if that's because of part of the whole video game uh, voice actor strike or whatever the case was. But he went from like a more grizzled voice that kind of felt like... I don't want to be in this shithole sort of like this sucks voice mm-hmm. to like, now I'm kind of more alternative protagonist character. Urgh, I'm a good guy. <laughs> when the character himself is not, is not a role model or someone that should be a hero. He is an alcoholic police officer that is assumedly kicked off the force for being an alcoholic. And, but don't uh, you spend the first one saving your daughter? And then the second one saving your daughter? No, your daughter's dead in the first one. So that that's kind of the canon change here, is that supposedly... She's your, alive. Your daughter right. was never dead to begin with. And in fact, she was abducted, and the fire was a cover-up. But unfortunately, mm. you're still an alcoholic. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you continue to drink. And, and it's only revealed after, uh, after the opening of this game and after three years uh, of drinking post the original that you find out about this and they're convinced to go in back into the stem world the the gamey part i'm talking about though is that there are certain dialogue portions where like you have characters within this open world setting that you need to go and talk to on occasion and when you do if it's not like a planned dialogue scene or like a a cut scene it ends up becoming something like fallout 4 where well this is this is all the limitation of storytelling in an open world in which you can't be put on on the rails or on a track to like the next story objective, right? So you have to create a narrative that works with an open space in which you might encounter someone or something and interact with these objectives a- across a a multitude of different potential timelines. And maybe that's where I just don't necessarily think I'm enjoying the game as much because it's now this open world, like somewhat non-linear story. Granted, it seems like there are probably like important points that you have to do before you can go on to the next chapter. But so much of what I loved about The Evil Within was just the progression of the story and how tight the story felt. Right. And now with the open world, like in order to even... In order to have the progression of the story, they need to create bottlenecks, is what you're talking about, where you can get a certain number of things done, but then you progress your main story forward in order to open up like further area or narrative opportunity. By going through the one door for your bottleneck of an open world game, so it's open world, so you need to go through to get that one thing to progress to the next act. 
And, and I guess I just don't necessarily see, like, I say all of this after saying I'm enjoying the game a lot, <laughs> but I don't necessarily see the benefit outweighing the cons in creating an open world game if it's not going to truly be open world. Mm-hmm. Or if that's not like its primary focus. I don't want to take anything away from GTA 5 or any of the classic open world, like pure open world titles, because like that's what the game is. That's what Breath of the Wild is. But did this game really need to be open world? The improved quality of life aspects of this game, I think alone would have been more than enough to just make a really awesome feeling, I guess with lack of a better term of a better term, like but Resident Evil clone with elements of like the action parts not being as played as uh, played as much but i, I don't know I, I also want to note too that i'm not far enough into really say whether or not the story's there yet but uh they they are taking a lot of interesting takes in the mood and theming behind it where stem or where the the first game takes place inside of basically a sociopath killer's mind this game is taking place inside of a little like a little girl's mind that has been manipulated in a way that allows some control or presence to take place like they they fictitious they build a fictitious town or small little village or whatever you want to say uh called union inside of this person's mind and that's where they're conducting all their research and whatever the shit else like this whole sem project is actually being used for and I think that's the explanation as to why things can stay relatively normal for the most part, aside from, you know, aside from like scenario defining elements like, oh, the town's kind of all fucked up because this person's mindset is not in a good place right now. But they also have introduced like this serial killer of some sort who is responsible for a lot of like the uh, public or public uh, the marketing images that you may see for evil within two where it's like people's heads being shot and like the blood splatter like seemingly floating in time or paused in time every portion that you deal with this weird killer guy is always awesome because it takes you out of the regular open world element and puts you into a much more controlled confined area but at, at, and at the exact same time like my my personal stress and fear level just jumps through the roof at that point because you're so used to like oh i'm in this little town and i know where everything is and you know i i have the ability to just run away from any encounter and go to my safe house to now i'm in a very tight controlled situation that i don't know where one door is going to lead to and i don't know like i i can't guarantee my own safety and maybe that is that feeling I have there is also why I feel like if Evil Within 2 was entirely that, it may not be a better video game. It might be a worse video game, but it may have been a better experience overall. But at the end of the day, it's fun. It's very fun. I can dig it. I've got no more questions for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Going on the complete opposite end of, uh, of the spectrum, I guess. Back into the past with Scott. Uh, how is Secret of Mana working out for you? Like we're we're talking pretty heavily about mechanics today, and so I'm happy that my topics really line up with this. I have three. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna go through this relatively quickly um, on each of my three topics because they're all mechanistically related, more or less. And so Secret of Mana, what I wanted to talk about today at least, is now I've finally progressed to a point in this game where I've got all of the weapons. 
and they each have their unique like uses and benefits for fighting enemies, which is a really nice thing that I think I've always found to be very valuable since playing certain games like say Dark Souls where understanding that a heavy slow weapon that does a lot of damage can be really great in some scenarios but horrible compared to having long quick reach with say a spear in another I'm surprised at how well Secret of Mana is able to also kind of make all of these weapons feel like they have definitive benefits and points in which they it's it's ideal to use one or the other in uh, combat. And also, since I've been playing a bit of, say... Well, actually, we'll get... I, I want to come back to the weapon upgrade system, but I did really like in this game, which I haven't experienced in a lot of others, that upgrading weapons is really easy. You essentially will defeat bosses or large enemies and get orbs that let you upgrade your weapons by just going back to a blacksmith and paying them gold. It's really nice as opposed to trying to find a treasure chest or, I mean, it'd be fine if you just picked up an upgraded weapon as well. But just having this streamlined upgrade system in which your weapons update at the right time to keep up with the difficulty of your enemies and you don't have to go out of your way to do any of this weapon upgrading. Like, you're just automatically getting scaled up. And the other easy way to do it, too, would be to just have, you know, the characters level up in a way that is consistent with the difficulty of the game all the way through and take out the weapons entirely. But it's a really nice... It's a really nice thing that you don't have to distribute orbs to specific weapons. Like, you, once you get an orb, it works for all of the weapons, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the orb works specifically for a weapon, but that's oh, does the, it? Yeah, yeah, but that's the same kind of idea then as getting an orb that would work, or like getting an orb that would upgrade all your weapons at the t- same time or something, except the timing on that would be slightly stratified. And it's a lot better than picking an orb to upgrade. Like, I'm going to upgrade the sword a couple times and then get to a point in the game where I really need to use the whip and my whip's garbage. yeah. So, I, I, I guess that's the whole thing. It's never a question of what do I need to tech into when it's just I'm going to tech everything out eventually. Yeah, like, you don't have to worry about anything falling behind or becoming uh, irrelevant in combat, which is really nice. You're absolutely right, too, in the regards to making the weapons seem relatively unique from each other, especially for like a, a 2D action RPG. You know, the sword has a nice... Uh, width to it the axe is slightly slower but also gets rid of some uh obstacles if i'm not mistaken that's the right and spear so has the range they all have their little niche that they work in which is great and when you also have three people playing there can be enough variety between what three weapons that uh each character and slash ai is using that even greater diversifies your kit and allows you to do multiple things at once. I remember going through a forest area in which I equipped two enemies, or not two enemies, sorry, two of my allies with weapons that could cut through bush to get to enemies that were otherwise blocked by impassable barriers, but that ranged weapons could go over. So I gave them two weapons that allowed me to access 
the interior of these blocked off zones where enemies were sniping at us with the range weapon. And then the third one got the range weapon so they could fire over it while we were on our way to make a melee attack against them. Like it's it's really nice. And the customizability of your AI and their aggressiveness is really cool too. I don't know if you remember this, but it's like a checkered board it's a checkerboard setup in which you have the options to set both the distance that your AI will keep from most enemies and then their level of aggression or defensiveness. And so there's many positions that you can put an AI at and how it will respond will be slightly different amongst that. So there's, there's tons of customizability and control even when you're not using the human control on an AI, which the AI is very stupid, but at least like following these rules, it seems a lot better and a lot more manageable. Yeah, like you can set them to hyper aggressive, but to keep their distance close to you. So yeah. they'll never run in a way that will prevent you from moving forward on a map or getting mm. stuck, but they will still always like fight enemies next to you. I think that's where, where I usually kept them. But. Yeah, I think it's very useful because otherwise getting caught on like not being able to move on a screen when the enemies can move can be a very like difficult situation if the uh, ally computer gets stuck and all of a sudden you're trapped in where you can't move effectively from enemy attacks or chase an enemy that needs to be chased immediately. Are you still playing two-player on that? Yeah, I'm still doing two-player. I I hope to continue doing that. But the third player, which is the AI, um, I've really come to appreciate the amount of control that you can exert because it is very confusing when you have two people playing and the AI gets in trouble. When you go to swap roles, if you both go to swap roles at roughly the same time, then you don't know which character you swap to for a moment, and that causes severe confusion. Out of curiosity, do you feel like the magic system's a little slow nowadays? Um, yeah, I guess so. But I, this actually gives me a, a great ability to kind of transfer or transition the conversation into Final Fantasy, where I feel like the magic is much slower in that game as compared to Secret of Mana. You can pause the game in Secret of Mana and use the Hand of Fate, as they call it, which is just the like selection cursor to select an enemy and then cast a spell, which takes a little while, but that, that's honestly fine for me because since you can move freely, you can take evasive maneuvers on enemies and you can you know generate enough space that casting is never actually an issue or putting you in harm's way, as far as I've encountered. But into like Final Fantasy 3, I've found that when I'm using this battle system where there's a bar that fills up before you can perform actions, the time that it takes to select the action and then actually perform it is enough in which if an enemy falls or, or it does some sort of um, like defensive maneuver that allows it to counter, you can end up like accidentally getting baited into attacking an enemy that'll hit you with a strong counterattack or something like like it's, attacking it's very a shell yeah exactly like the first boss in the game what can happen is you can set up to attack its weak point and it's pretty obvious from the start that you don't want to attack its shell but because of the timing with the game you can queue up an action and then perform the action after the enemy is withdrawn into the shell and get the, the counterattack. And it, it really sucks. Like It feels a little unfair because there's not a great way to time it out. And so at least in Secret of Mana, there's 
there's not an issue like that necessarily. So I, I'd, pr- I'd okay with a slow magic system or a slow, slow response on an attack system as long as it doesn't feel like it's coming with any significant penalties. Really, I didn't have much else to complain about for Final Fantasy III. I'm so far just getting started on that and enjoying the story. But it, was in, it just made me realize how customizable some of these old uh, SNES RPGs are. In Final Fantasy, you get to name characters, which isn't particularly customizable. But because there's, I know in many Final Fantasy games, too many characters to keep track of that I don't care to learn their names. I've just been naming everyone by the like, most definitive color <laughs> in their sprite. And so we have like green and blue it's is my main protagonist <laughs> right now. What happens when the next character you get on your team is also, is also going blue? to be blue? Well, blue I'll have to go for like the next most interesting thing about them. Blonde. Blonde. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what you're probably going to name them. Yeah. So black guy. And that's fine. That's fine. As long as I can like determine between each one who they are. It'll be really easy to remember. Like blue is a thief and green is an esper and whoever this third blonde person is going to be. I don't know anything about them, but... Oh my God, how do you already know that about uh, Tara? What, that she's an esper? Yeah. Because you're able to use magic. Or I completely don't understand how this game works at all, which is very <laughs> common for Final Fantasy <laughs> storytelling. Did I, just, did I just give up something? Well, I, I mean, come on, Neil. It was pretty obvious from the start. But I guess we should warn for spoilers. Apparently. Oh, I mean, I, I think the Statue of Limitations is up on Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> and <laughs> on Secret a game of Mana, for that matter. But they just came yeah. out. <laughs> Final Fantasy, the, the big um, customizable thing that stuck out to me the most was actually the menus. Have you ever seen that you can customize the color options for the menus? Yeah, and the backgrounds? It's crazy. Like, there's there's maybe six colors in most of these menu designs that you can completely adjust however you want. And so you can make the most obnoxious-looking menu design possible. And that's not even the text that occupies these menus. But you can also do it from, like, preset patterns as well. It was... I spent way too much time like fooling around with it to see what they look like, and everything I came up with looked like garbage. When I uh, when I play Final Fantasy VI, for some reason, I always switch uh, switch the box text or the box image, I should say, to something appropriate for that part of the game. So I think I usually start off with the wood background. Oh, really? I always choose the i I felt like the metal would be the one you'd always choose, like since it's a very industrial looking kind of game and theme there's a point in time where it does become very industrial like legitimately i'm inside of the factory yeah and that's when you set the the metal background because it's like a steel plate like a diamond plate style one right right that's exactly what it's like there's even screws i think on the corners <laughs> but stupid. yeah it's i'm looking forward to playing more of it the the menu options just made me kind of nostalgic for games that let you exert that amount of customizability like i always like changing my hud colors in the fallout games i think actually amber is what i kept for new vegas but for like fallout 4 i turned it to like a a bright kind of turquoise or cyan color and i liked that better the biggest thing i wanted to talk talk about for topic today is that you're talking about the evil within 2 maybe lacking some of the storytelling elements that you really enjoyed from the first game 
but the mechanics being good and the gameplay being solid enough that you're still having fun and enjoying it. I was realizing over this week, um, since Sierra's down and out, I've been playing The Witcher because I figured it would be pretty entertaining for us to make decisions together while I play that hey, game. You want to be bored as fuck as, as I fuck some prostitutes? <laughs> Is, can you? I, I mean, I haven't done that in that game. That's I'm more like looking for places to get a haircut, but which is fun. Can you get a haircut in that game? You can get a haircut. Yeah, you can customize your hair a couple different ways. You can shave your beard sometimes. You can go to a drunken guy who's supposed to be a barber, but after you pay him the cheaper rate than the other barbers, he may or may not actually cut your hair how you ask. This sounds (laughs) great. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize that was a part of it. The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, um, or The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, it's a really awesome game, I think, as far as like storytelling and interesting characters and cool little side quests and other other information in the game. Like it's it's super heavy with lore. It's super heavy with you know having a very compelling cast of characters and storyline. And yet, because Geralt controls like a boat. <laughs> In every it, like in every way, except when he's swimming, then he controls even worse than a boat. <laughs> it's it's very frustrating to actually play that game. Like I feel like it takes a lot of patience, and the combat is tedious and unpleasant. And yet I'm playing it despite all of that, despite its horrible like gameplay issues in my mind, because I'm really interested and compelled by the story and want to finish the game. But all I can think about when I play it is that I've also been playing Breath of the Wild all the time on the Switch. And if they were able to condense some of the just like really needlessly archaic controls on The Witcher and sort of mimic what Breath of the Wild has for controls, I would, I would be playing so much more Witcher than Breath of the Wild. Like the mechanics in Breath of the Wild are really what make that game shine certainly not the story it's certainly not the like small tiny side quests that happen in that game that have no impact on on the story or really your environment and none of the characters are particularly memorable in that game no, but you know it what plays you're, so you're, well. you're absolutely right like it would piss off so many different fans of the witcher series but had they just made the witcher a simplified action RPG. And I say that with all the love in the world, but like something on the same level or line as uh, Breath of the Wild, it would have been a much better game to most people. I probably would have played more than seven minutes of it. Exactly. Yeah. It, the menu system sucks. The, like, all of the different things you can do in the game are great too. Like, Gwent is really fun to play with other characters, and all of the side quests in that game are really good. Like, there never is a side quest that I complete that I think, I wish I wouldn't have done that. While Breath of the Wild, I don't feel like I want to do any side quests besides just getting them done or out of the way. It's just, it's one of those things that is a simplification of the game could have really benefited it. If it had better controls and simplified like menu and mechanical systems, I'd be playing, I, I would have played the game to completion ages ago when I bought it. Have you already tried the alternate version or the alternate movement control for Geralt? Yes, they're still not that great. Like, they're still not very good. And I think I have my game currently set to the alternative controls where he doesn't have to, like, build up speed to 
turn directions or whatever. I, it's the more um, immediate response of the two. And I believe that's the alternate controls while the, I guess, the primary control system that came with the game when it released vanilla before any patches or updates, Geralt would actually have to like turn around a little bit and you'd have to like guide him to do that, which was horrible. It was horrible. I really did not enjoy trying to control him in that way. The control scheme is kind of like your stick actually controls his center of weight and you were just yeah. guiding him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it sounds like a good idea too. It sounds like a very realistic feeling of movement, but unfortunately it just feels really bad in like the digital space, especially when you're in like a confined area like a home or you know, the city streets. It just feels really bad. Um, and the, the horse controls are really rough. I just, I would give so much to have Breath of the Wild responsiveness and simplified combat mechanics so I could enjoy it, like I could enjoy this game and it, I could progress through it faster because I don't, I don't suck at trying to make my character do the basic things that I want to. And both of them could get an update on, like, weapon durability. I hate weapon durability. It's just a nuisance to me. We I mean, need I to go, we need to, go to the, the Secret of Mana upgrade system on weapons, where, like, you just get to a point, and then you're provided with the weapons that, that do better. I also always, like, appreciated when RPGs were not, like forcing you to buy different weapons but instead the idea was that you sharpened your own weapon or you know upgraded it yeah your weapon upgraded as you progressed further like you gained access to a newer better weapon but it wasn't just by buying it in a shop you found it in a dungeon after a boss dropped it or yeah your your weapon somehow transformed to meet the greater foes and challenges ahead i i much prefer that to Picking up a slightly more powerful sword and comparing it to the old one, is there anything I, else I need to consider in this Switch? I don't know. Yeah. I like the idea of just buying my sword from the store. Just, Cookie's just like, such a hey. consumer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you, you also want to be transported to a different world with your cell phone. Yeah. You know, I, I bet he's he doesn't got even, a pretty good life. <laughs> I bet he doesn't even sew his own clothes. He's got a wife for that. Oh, Yeah. I mean, as long seven. as your wife's doing it. <laughs> and with room to improve, too. I think he's going to have nine. <laughs> that's but anyway, it's, that's end rant for me. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little hungry, though. Um, I'm kind of interested in lifting the lid to see what's in this hot pot today. First topic on the list, Mike Laidlaw departs with BioWare. Who was Mike Laidlaw? He is the creative director of Dragon Age Inquisition and also uh, lending his writing talents to the Dragon Age series as a whole. Mass Effect 1, I believe, specifically was his, was his more his than, uh, than Hudson's. And also Jade Empire. Ooh. Yeah, right? Well, I liked one of those games that you mentioned. <laughs> who is I BioWare? Mean, <laughs> uh, Have they made so anything evil recently? Bethesda. <laughs> no they haven't that well no they did what are we all saying we just all forgot about it because we didn't want to think about mass effect andromeda <laughs> oh shit <laughs> <laughs> cookie actually did forget about it <laughs> i did <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, as far as I know, I don't think he has any credits on Andromeda. Just just to point that out there. As far as you know, he erased all of his credits on Andromeda. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he quit before he could show up on the uh, team list. I'm kind of not. Nece- I don't know if I'm necessarily bummed to hear it. I am very curious t- to see what this means for Dragon Age because uh, Inquisition definitely had some improvements and it had some really cool ideas but i'm curious if that game could get better yeah especially as it seems like the trend for these types of rpgs these western rpgs that you know we could say started with fall uh, more recently started with fallout 3 and dragon age origins uh it seems to be more like aiming towards streamlined gameplay and uh I I would kind of actually love a more open world Dragon Age game, and I think Inquisition was kind of a lit down when it was really not as open worldy as you wanted it to be. Yeah. If yeah. they get any more open world, their direct competitor will be the Elder Scrolls games. I think is the is the catch. But I think they were already competing with them to begin with. Mm, and that's, that y- might be true. I just you I don't m- see them as being much of a comparison. And you all know my feelings when it comes to like Elder Scroll and Bethesda developed games, which is pretty low for the most part. By the way, I want to note that The Evil Within 2 is made by uh, Tango, Game Tango or something. It's specifically Shinji Mikami's studio, not Bethesda. They publish it. Right. They're the publisher. Uh, Remember, Bethesda publishes good games. Yeah, great games. They just can't develop any at this point. Um, (laughs) But like on the same sort of weird comparison or bandwagon we were just on with breath of the wild being the witcher 3 or like combining those games together would be make for like a fucking amazing experience i similarly feel that way with with uh dragon age like yeah the companions are a big part of the game but i also don't necessarily have the hardest time imagining a companion system in a similar way that secret of mana has it where it's just like your companion should just be a guy or girl beside you kicking ass and hopefully not getting caught in the geometry of the world Mm -hmm. and there to offer banter which that's always been a good thing dragon age has had for it as to how this relates to uh, mike laidlaw um i i'm just curious because i feel like he has been much more of a lore writer so to speak and kind of in enforcing that sort of strict development of the game i'm curious if dragon age 4 is going to just completely change the way that game plays or change the way the series goes i guess yeah that'd be cool i'd, I'd like for it to loosen up a little bit and maybe i guess streamline how it plays his like announcement tweet is also really interesting because uh and in, in like the third stanza he writes For the near future, I plan to spend my time reconnecting with all the amazing games and worlds that my peers have created, and I look forward to sharing those experiences with you all on Twitch and Twitter. So basically, he's going to become a YouTuber? (laughs) Well, a Twitcher? (laughs) That's probably not a good term. We can invite him to the Fancy Ramen podcast. We can be his, his, like, safe landing gig. And then every like, he's going to be like, oh, wait, so none of you liked Dragon Age Inquisition? It was okay. I'd, I'd much rather play Origins again. I didn't yeah, play I, it. I, I only played Origins. Origins. Oh man, you should play Origins. Origins was one of the few video games I've beaten multiple times. Actually, the middle of the game can be very similar, but the intro and ending, or like the the epilogue, I guess you could say, makes it worth 
going through and playing as a different origin. Because you're just like, oh, okay, so this is how this kind of happened. And Morgana, with your children, went off into the woods and sacrificed your soul or some shit. (laughs) And what's her name with your children? Went off to the covenant. (laughs) Sacrificed your children. (laughs) We've talked about like replacement racism before. Like if you want to get another fill of playing as a minority, like a a, uh, enslaved minority, you can play as as elves in Dragon Age. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Quite literally. (laughs) I honestly hope he ends up landing a gig someplace and making more video games because I I don't know necessarily how much he put into Origins, but I'm assuming a decent amount. That game was fucking good. That game was fucking good. Speaking of good fucking games, gamers are speed running the Super Mario Odyssey demo at Walmart. Is nothing safe from speedrunners nowadays? Are they just speedrunning everything? These videos are definitely worth checking out. People are like burning through the available levels. Um, And it's getting me really excited for Super Mario Odyssey seeing people play these because Come, are you gonna buy it are you gonna buy it next oh, week? oh yeah yeah i'm gonna buy it i want to see people i haven't had oh, a i haven't had a like console mario game since sunshine i think you mean since september 29th when you got super mario world on your snes classic that's true man i've played <laughs> so much of that game it makes up for all the others i've missed like super I'm sure Super Mario Galaxy and Galaxy 2 were great games but so was just playing Super Mario World for like the 500th hour of my life. Um I'm looking forward to it a lot. I haven't played one in a while but if there's one thing I know Mario games to be great for it's just like superb controls and really great mechanics that just feel really good to execute. Um and he hasn't played Mario Sunshine yet. <laughs> oh, I've played Mario Sunshine. I've played tons of Mario Sunshine. And the reason I like that game is because it doesn't feel as good, but then you have a hover ability, so it's no big deal. <laughs> so are you going to delegate Sierra to Hat? Oh, yeah. That's cool, too, Like that we can, we can have two people playing. Um, that, that will be fun. I'll probably delegate her to Hat for sure. If and you all. guys are going to speedrun it together, right? Oh, you know, we're so good at Mario games. We won't speedrun it. I would have been way more hyped if these speedrunners took advantage of the natural obstacles within Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, we're going in here to speedrun. We're going to speedrun the uh, Super Mario Odyssey demo. All right, we just pulled into Walmart, guys. Start the timer now. You're hopping the aisles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we found that like Wednesday around 6 a.m. is usually the best time to speedrun Super Mario Odyssey. It's when, you know, the stalkers usually finish up their second load of pallets. And, uh, you know, there's just that gap that if you get in, you can make it. Yeah, you have to execute a spin maneuver normally around (laughs) aisle six. But past that, you're free. Like, you're gold. (laughs) You do have to worry about the hovering uh, employer or employee that uh, constantly asks you if you're okay. And that sometimes, you know, drains on your concentration, but uh, it's, a, it's a good time to go in. And beware the uh, caution slick section of the floor signs. They're that, hard that's to just a part of the RNG, man. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. you just have to deal with it. <laughs> okay, we got a really bad roll this time, guys. We're sorry. Sorry, we couldn't go into this Walmart today. <laughs> we're, just gonna, we're just gonna have to restart. All right, let's go home. <laughs> Another news: uh, two new Oculus headsets have been announced and a price cut to their current model. Uh, the first headset we've known about for a while, but we it's now been it's it's now been stated that they will be shipping 
developer versions of the Santa Cruz in 2018. And this is basically your wireless, high-quality VR experience headset. So the skateboard company's making headsets now? Santa Cruz, baby. They made my favorite longboard. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have the Oculus Go, which is, as as I've read it, basically a cell phone VR headset, except the cell phone's built in. So like your Gear VR, but all in... In, or your Samsung Gear VR, but all enclosed. So pass, is what you're saying. Yeah, most likely. Unless you need to, you know, look up porn videos on the go. No one will know, besides the furious masturbation. <laughs> no one will know besides the furious <laughs> Oh, I, I see what you mean. You say, like, you could watch it on a public bus. And no one will know, besides you furiously masturbating. Oh, I wonder what he's doing. He's got a VR headset. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So was IGN acquiring Humble Bundle? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that, that's a thing. There, yeah. there should be, you know, no um, violation of integrity with IGN performing reviews. They they really and, do state that that is indeed uh, their plan is to keep operations for Humble Bundle completely separate. But at the same time, I mean, it seems no. just as sleazy <laughs> as a Twitch Let's Player or a, a Twitch broadcaster selling you the game he's playing. Oh yeah, totally. It's um it's one of those things where even if you as a company make many, many public statements and, and vehemently deny any any chance that you may abuse this power, I don't think anyone doesn't expect you to to not obviously abuse this power. Like Isn't that the point of power to be abused? Exactly. It's just one of those things. Like the reason it seems sketchy is because companies operate ultimately on a bottom line basis. And if you can say write a nicer review than you might previously because the game that's being sold is also through your humble bundle site, which, you know, that's two bites of the apple there. Like why not, you know? There's nothing wrong with being a little lenient on the games that happen to make us a little bit of money. Like it, it's just it's really it's really easy to corrupt that that integrity. But would they have to plan ahead, or does Humble Bundle now do like brand new video games? Well, that's that's the interesting thing because I think they sell a bunch of games just on their plain storefront, like yeah. that are not necessarily a- discounted, mm. but still go to charity. There's also um, a exploit for having a little bit of a revisionist history where you may make edits or updates to previous decisions. Let's say Spelunky, which is getting sold on Humble Bundle, got an 8 out of 10. Well, you know, really, as, as the guy who reviewed that game, and as, as my boss has informed me, really, Spelunky is more like an 8.5, maybe even a 9. I need to go back and, you know, alter Let's that. Let's be real. Spelunky is a is like a 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 yeah exactly it was it was wrong the first time eight what was i thinking so i i don't know there's it's it's obviously something to raise an eyebrow at and be a little more skeptical when it comes to ign's reviews and how they pertain to maybe something being sold for the humble bundle but if you're not already treating ign's reviews with skepticism then you know what are you doing? You are listening to the Fancy Robin podcast. <laughs> I think every every site or publication has some weird spotted past, like Games or Gamespot does, IGN does, Rooster Teeth. 
Polygon. I just have never read that much Polygon before. Who has? Just me. <laughs> Fair enough. So if you guys have comments, questions, or corrections, you can always uh, go to www.ign.com and then contact us and you can complain about their acquisition of Humble Bundle. <laughs> Otherwise, you can also tell us about it at podcast at fancyramen.com. And if you've been enjoying the show, leave a review with us on Apple Podcasts, but not Stitcher. And more importantly, tell a friend and help us grow our audience. This has been a blast, guys. I'm Scott. I'm Cookie. And I'm Neil. And this is Fancy Ramen Podcast, episode 36. Have a good day, everybody. The music used in this episode of the Fancy Ramen Podcast comes from Final Fantasy VI from the track Omen, composed by Nobuo Uematsu and originally released in 1994.